Welcome to this week's episode of One More Round. Unfortunately, Gary is not able to join us this week as he's busy at work. But Chris and Stephen are here as always. How are you both keeping? Not too bad, not too bad at all. Good stuff, Chris. Yeah, just just got to get through tomorrow and then I've got some time off work, so... Nice two just, weeks for you, hanging in there, yeah. You poor thing, hanging in there. One more day, that's one all you have to remember. <laughs> one, one more round, Chris. Yeah, I'll probably be carried out of there in a box tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about this week, but first, as always, let's start with the question of the week. So, one All Black legend has sadly passed away and one has ended his illustrious career. What I want to know is, how many points did Joan Lomu and Richie McCaw score for New Zealand combined? Oh, got that registered then, there, yeah? Yep. Yep. Cool. Now, Gary's not here this week, so I don't have to warn him not to Google. <laughs> He's going to slip further behind now as well. We might catch him at this point. <laughs> might lap him. <laughs> right. I suppose there's only one place to start this week, though. We questioned last week whether or not Ireland could qualify for Euro 2016. And sure, look, we only went and did it. So, Ireland v Bosnia. 3-1 in aggregate. Where do we start? Well, uh, Super Johnny Walters, Stephen. Super Johnny Walters, indeed. Um, yeah, he was... I think we all thought he'd be a loss after after missing the first leg through suspension and the lads did a very good job over in the fog in 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 Bosnia but we showed how important a player he is which I think is something you wouldn't really have thought three or four years ago that Johnny Walters would be one of our most important players but he's grown like as he gets older he's grown into a just just a very good player he's, he's not flashy in the slightest but what he does is bring the entire team into a game by holding the ball up looking for teammates and he's proving valuable for us in the extreme yeah definitely like as you said who would have thought that Johnny Walters would be one of our main men going into Euro 2016 but like when you look at the team now they're, they're, there's enough there that people like they won't take us lightly we seem to be hard to score against and we have a good work rate good work rate and a good team spirit like no one's gonna be delighted they got us I suppose no I think <clears throat> like I think it's seven goals conceded in the ten group games, and then one more in, against Bosnia. And we look at the quality of players we played against. You got Lewandowski, you've got Jeko, you got Thomas Muller. Like they're not they're international quality strikers, and obviously there was goals scored by Lewandowski and and Jeko. But if you're if you're conceding less than a goal a game in international football, you can always grab one, whether it be it. Uh, a lucky deflection or a corner or a Jonathan Walters penalty. I think the problem was in Euro 2012 was that defensively we were a shambles. If we can stay in games late into them, we've proven this qualifying campaign that we can score late goals. So there's definitely optimism as opposed to four years ago. Yeah, well you saw that like under Trapattoni we lost what 5-1 to Germany at home? 6-1. 6-1. And then we beat them 1-0. Yeah, no, I think that's... We can't take that score, but like Martin O'Neill has obviously done something right. We've gone from, what, 64th in the world up to 31st now, I think, this week. Yeah, as in, like I said, you can't really do that. Like, if you talk to Chris, like, in, in three months, Liverpool did the same thing against Stoke with the same manager and pretty much the same players. That 6-1 was, I wouldn't call it a freak, but when Germany scored that first goal in, in that game, I think it was three years ago, the team just fell apart because they were low on confidence. And it's amazing what I think that's what O'Neill has given them. It took for the time but he's given them confidence and belief. And while they're not playing sparkling football, they're they're beginning to play more like a like just a confident team who are willing to put passes together as opposed to just hoofing the ball long. Yeah, Chris, uh Stephen did mention uh the first game in the fog and Robbie Brady scored the goal, got man of the match in the second game as well. He's becoming a key player for Ireland now, isn't he? 
Yeah, I think he, ever since he got into the the Premiership, you're starting to to see the quality that he had. Um, for some reason, Hull dropped him for a while, and then he had a couple of offers. Like he, you can see, he is a, a decent player for that kind of mid-level Premiership side, and for the job he done for us at left back as well, it was very impressive. Um, like usually when you see someone like that that has played a couple of games as a fullback, when you ask them to play like as a more defensive left-sided defender, they they find it completely uh, out of their depth. But I thought he coped really well. Um, the odd time he was caught a little bit out of position, but he's got decent pace. Like you, you wouldn't think it, but he's not a slow player. He did, he reads the game quite well, and like you said, he was a key part of the team for us. Yeah, he was went out to watch that game on the Friday night, and but what we saw of it through the fog. <laughs> but uh, we were all shocked when Robbie Brady was announced that he scored. I think it was about thirty seconds after he scored. Yeah, it just kind of like you saw him running away, and you're kind of wondering what was happening. Like everyone was like confused in the pub, and then. The waves of celebrations came in, and then we got the, the kind of the pitch side angle of the on the TV, and we were able to see that he took his goal really well, like cutting in from the right hand side and slotting the ball past um, Begovic. Although um, I'm, I'm always a little bit suspect when the, a keeper gets stunned on his near post. I think in this case, in the fog, you can probably give him a, a bit of a break. <laughs> Yeah, I heard a, a great one actually. They one of the commentators, or sorry, one of the presenters asked, interviewed Brady after the game, and asked him if he'd uh, given the keeper the eyes, like to send him the wrong way. <laughs> and Brady's response was, "Yeah, of course I did." <laughs> and then afterwards, they're saying, "Like I don't know what eyes he was giving the keeper. Like, sure, I'm sure the keeper couldn't see past his penalty box." <laughs> I heard a great one as well that uh, on Monday like some art, some spoof article went up that uh, looked like Bosnia were going to start fog up front. I was a bit worried then. <laughs> but uh, the penalty we did get in the second game, a bit dubious. Uh, very dubious, I think. But on the other side, I think they should have had a player sent off probably twice. Oh, that was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he had seven or eight final warnings from the referee. He had a couple of ones that could have been straight reds. Yeah, and I think the referee decided not to give him any final warnings. Just like, go away, will you? Like, <laughs> he, I think it was he put in a, like a studs high challenge on was it Walters in the second half? Yeah, this, that, was, it's, it's that was the fellow for the goal. It's yeah, that, 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 that for me that could have been a straight red, but it was a definite yellow card. Yeah. Um, how he got away with it, I don't know, but I suppose like they they they're right to feel aggrieved about the penalty, but. On the flip side, would they have wanted to play the game without, like, a man down for probably an hour? He probably could have gone after 30 minutes. I was definitely in the first half, yeah. Definitely. Um, just a quick word. Robbie Keane didn't get luck in in either game. They'll obviously probably bring him to the Euros, but will he play? Or will he be more of a another coaching role, probably? I think he, he'll definitely be there for his experience with the team. Um He's, he's probably gonna find chances limited like he has done in recent games but I wouldn't bet against him coming on if we need a goal with say 15-20 minutes to go um, he doesn't offer much around the pitch anymore but I would still say he's the best finisher we have in the squad yeah they saw him there was like a, a cut to the camera in the second game and he was kind of there on the sideline barking out instructions almost like a player manager role or something well the thing is like since he's gone over to LA Galaxy, the talk is that he's become, he's their captain, he's their leader. He's become that kind of personality. Now, whether or not it's just from age or whether or not he's, he's learned that in recent years, but I'd say purely from experience, like you said, and from a leadership point of view, he's brilliant there. Because this is, and it's probably a good thing for Irish football, but this is a relatively young team. If you look at the likes of Hendricks and Brady, Cyrus Christie, like there's they're young players so having someone like Keane could be valuable especially the ones who haven't experienced tournament football before yeah true uh, looking at the other three qualifiers Ukraine, Sweden and Hungary have all gone through as well just a quick round so it looks like uh, Zlatan gets uh, one more soiree at a major tournament he broke the Danish hearts with a superb free kick did you see it? Oh, he doesn't score boring goals does he? no he doesn't <laughs> Uh, the tournament will be better for having him in it. Definitely, definitely, one hundred percent. Did you hear his quote afterwards? When like it was <laughs> yeah. like there were, I think it was the Danish were saying like, "Oh, we're going to kill off Zlatan," and Zlatan turned around and he was like, "I killed all of Denmark," like that. 
Yeah, I think they're retiring. Retired, all of them. retiring yeah. retired, that's it. I retired because they, they said he was going to retire, retire as Latan. Yeah. Uh, look, like he's he's some character. I think it, it was incredible as well because before the first leg, uh, I don't know where the source, but everyone like kind of, especially on the Denmark side, were saying like how Zlatan doesn't score for Sweden in the big games, and he doesn't score against Denmark. And what was it? He got three goals over the two legs. And <laughs> um, talk about like making a point against your biggest rivals. Isn't that something like when like when the opposition say that like the manager has to like stick that on the dressing room wall like that's that's the team talk done nearly. Yeah. Um, he doesn't strike me as someone who needs kind of motivating. I think exactly. Yeah. He just he has an aura about him, and like you said, when he's in the mood, like some of the goals he scores are absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Um, Hungary beat Norway three one. Bit of a surprise that one. Um, you'd say so on paper. I think with Norway, it's very much uh, if they show up, they play well. If they don't show up, they can be horrible. Over the last two or three qualifying campaigns, they've had some really good results against good teams, and then they'll go away to Andorra and struggle, or go away to Macedonia and struggle. I think the last group they finished fifth, possibly in the World Cup qualifiers. I think it very much comes down to their a confidence team, and if they don't start off well, and they didn't against Hungary in the first leg. They don't quite have the belief to come back. Mm. And then I suppose the other one, Chris, was Ukraine beating Slovenia 3-1. I suppose there's no real shock there, though. That was probably as no, you'd I'd, expect. I think Ukraine were definitely solid favourites. I mean, they had a 2-0 lead after the first leg. It was interesting when Slovenia scored. They only needed that one, obviously, to force extra time, but they weren't able to get it. And I think Ukraine got the their goal quite late in the second leg, but I think Slovenia were were they a man down at that stage? Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I think they think they did lose someone. Um, yeah, they made a game of it, but I think the the stronger side went through. I mean, Ukraine have a couple of very decent players like Yarmolenko and Konoplyanka. Um, <laughs> I was waiting. Well I was waiting for that. <laughs> uh, I've been practicing that because he was linked with Liverpool a few months ago. <laughs> You've linked I can just imagine Chris in work all day kind of going, trying <laughs> oh, to get no. it going. <laughs> so just to finish off our chat about Euro 2016, what do you think would be a good draw, what would be a bad draw when the draw is made in next month? Um, I think it possibly was Joe or a boss that he won them had to put up the worst group possible and it was basically our group from Euro 2012. Um, Spain, part one, Italy, part two, I think the Czech Republic was was who they put in our group. I think it's a shame we can't meet someone like Wales or Northern Ireland, and it's very likely we get England, just because we we tend to get them in tournaments. Well, that that probably be the best of the pool ones or part one though. Yeah, it it probably is because we wouldn't fear them, as in I think we played them twice in the last two years with two draws and. It's the one game across almost all sports that the Irish teams are guaranteed to be up for, even more so than just being in the European Championships. If if it's an Ireland-England game, we're, we're going to perform. It's just it's what our, our nation always does against England. So from from a talent point of view and from and an belief to get themselves up for the game, I think England would be the perfect draw for us in that, in that pot. Sure, as Roy, as Roy Keane said, well, sure, bring, us, bring on Germany again. <laughs> Well, hopefully Roy will stay around for the conclusion of this tournament. Did you see his interview after after the game? Yeah, there's not Saipan. <laughs> sure, how would he know? <laughs> he was there briefly. Very briefly. Don't, don't bother bringing the bags to my room. I'll be off in a few hours. <laughs> right, moving on. The Premiership is back. We all happy with that this time? Very much so. It's been too long. It's been too long. I suppose, Chris, we'll go straight to you with probably the biggest game of the weekend, City v Liverpool. Yep. Um, um, looks like Sturridge is going to be back. Yeah, well, we were. F- I was filling out my predictions for this one, or my, well, my predictions for the weekend earlier on during the weekend, um, and this was the only match I left blank. I <laughs> didn't know what I was going to put in for it. I, I genuinely wasn't sure what way the game was going to go. Um, I think we were pretty... Um, pretty decent against Palace in our last game but we got um, we just got it. I'd say robbed but that's not really fair like Palace played quite well but 
they just kind of outsmarted us in key times. Um, City kind of dominated against Villa and wasted a lot of good chances. Um, but I think what what turned it for me was listening to Jurgen Klopp's interview. Yeah. Um, talking about the players that we have back, and like you mentioned, Danny Sturridge. Um, I just think if we can get him and Penteke together and get Firmino and Coutinho feeding in behind, then we're going to have a chance against anyone in the league. Um, so I think of the bigger teams we've played in recent times, that we've done reasonably well against City. We had a, a big win against them at Anfield a couple of years ago and we were unlucky at the City of Manchester. So I think we could maybe nick this one, maybe 2-1. Interesting. And... Like, is it? I know, like, Klopp will have plenty of time in Liverpool, and it's stupid to even be talking about, like, would he be under pressure? Because, like, he hasn't had a bad start, but he hasn't. I think that. So this is a bit of a free hit, though, isn't it? Away at City? Um, yeah, I think you're playing against the side that are top of the league. Um, wouldn't say you can get, you can afford to just, like, give up on these games, like, as Liverpool manager. Um, you're always expected to, to do well. Um, but yeah, I, I think if, if we can take a point from this game, I don't think anyone will be complaining. But um, at the same time, we are kind of playing catch-up to get into that top four. So it would be nice if we could maybe nick the three points. Yeah, fair point. Um, Stephen, moving on and looking at uh, your club, United, they're away at Watford. Um, looks like Martial is injured after leaving the England game on crutches. Yeah, I've been praying for the last two weeks that my United striker might get a knock, might be out for a few weeks. Unfortunately, unfortunately it's the wrong one, yeah. Um, yeah, his injury means that it's... It, I think we're stuck with Rooney for the next month. Now, he scored a decent enough goal for England against France, but I don't think you can put anything into the, into that game. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a worry because the pie hasn't been playing particularly well on the left and then they've been dropped the last few games now they might put Lingard in instead of him which is he's scored his first goal there two weeks ago so he's high in confidence was called up the English squad I think so we might be okay but against Watford Rooney might grab a goal Madam might grab a goal but in the long run if Marshall's out for anything more than a couple of weeks we could be in trouble yeah I have a bit of an uneasy feeling about this one like uh, I uh I do think we'll probably scrape the win, but just something. Watford have been playing decent recently, and we struggle to score goals. Now we probably will. Like this could be a one nil or something like that. We could scrape it, but I just have an uneasy feeling about it. Yeah, like they're pretty good defensively. I think that's the thing about them is that. But but so are United. I like I said. I think I I went for a one nil in this game because I can't see many goals, and especially with, with Marshall being out. Um. I think if it was against someone like Leicester who we're playing next week, you'd be worried that if they scored a goal early, but Watford just haven't been scoring many goals. I know Ikaila is, I think he's got seven for the season, but beyond him, they don't really have threats, and the way the back four of them playing for United, they should handle him pretty well. So I I think my United's a nick it, but probably isn't going to be very pretty. Yeah. Chris, Stephen mentioned Leicester there, and they're away in Newcastle. Can Vardy match Ruud van Nistelrooy's record of nine games in a row scoring? Yeah, I think so. Um, although he is a slight injury doubt. I was just going to say that. He's a bit of an injury doubt. Um, from what I know, he's he's back in partial training. And they're hoping he'll take part in full training tomorrow. You think um, he'd be desperate to play? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, if he doesn't though. play, if, does the, would there, yeah. he still be entitled to the record? Is no, it, the record is nine consecutive games. Or the, for yeah, the team as opposed to for him like yeah, he's it, 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 yeah it's consecutive in a row and if you get injured you have to start again or whatever okay that kind of seems like it's uh, unfair to kind of <laughs> bias towards United record but um, <laughs> make the rules up as you go along Glenn oh. <laughs> I don't think in fairness it's, it's not Glenn's rule I think it's the Premier League's rule um, but, but to, to answer your question if he is fit um yeah, I would fancy him to get on the score sheet. Um, Newcastle, have, they came, they got a decent win, I think, against Bournemouth in their last game. But Bournemouth did have quite a few chances, from what I can remember. Yeah. 
Um, I think if if Bournemouth had had Wilson in the side, they they might have been the three points going the other way. But um, someone of of uh, Vardy's quality, yeah, in the form he's in, if he gets those kind of chances, you'd imagine he put a couple of them away. Yeah, and Stephen talking about like kind of going on a streak. Chelsea now have a few games in a row that they could get it on a bit of a winning streak now. They start by playing at home to Norwich and they really need to win this, don't they? There's no excuses, really. No. <clears throat> and they've had two weeks. So Mourinho's had time to kind of... Obviously, the international break has come. I'm sure he's lost a lot of players for friendlies, but he's been able to steady the ship out of the public eye. And What I'd imagine is that they'll come out and get a decent result against Norwich this, this week. But we've been expecting it for a couple of, for maybe two, three months for Chelsea to come out of this slump. And they haven't done it yet now. You, you think, well, you, you have Norwich, Spurs and then Bournemouth. So, yeah, if they can pick up three points here, I think they're away to Spurs. Pick up a point there, beat Bournemouth 7 out of 9 and then they're back in back mid-table. But if, if they don't pick up three points here, then... I don't know what Mourinho can do. If you can't beat Norwich at home, then when you've had two weeks to prepare, it's not as, as in he literally has no excuses anymore. He's he, he's pretty much used them all up anyway. But if, if they don't win, he, I think he has to go. Big call. He has to go if they don't win. Well, if you look at, at the table, they're currently three points in two places off Bournemouth. Realistically, they could be bottom three at the end of the weekend like you would have had two 300 to one on Chelsea being in the bottom three at any stage of the season never mind 13 games in <laughs> you, like it's unlucky for some <laughs> well that's the thing like okay you have to, you have to imagine that Bournemouth and Newcastle are both not going to win but if they did then some, you can have a slump you can have a, a bad month like Arsenal have every year but <laughs> but realistically this is not a slump this is a I don't know what to call it it's like, it's like they, they've kind of fallen apart internally and they just the, the team unity is gone the team spirit has gone now if, if they start picking up results and they and and people like um, Loftus Cheek people like William and Azard form a new team as it were and you get rid of some of the, some of the older players that's the only way I, I can see anything good coming out of Chelsea this season if they can somehow get rid of I wouldn't call it dead wood but the Chelsea team of the last few years and almost form a new one in the second half of the season but even then I'm not sure if Mourinho is capable of doing that it'd be interesting to see alright um, Chris one last game to talk about before we move on is just Spurs US Ham another London derby so is uh, Payet will be a big loss at West Ham yeah absolutely Um It'd be interesting to see who replaces him. I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Mikel Antonio getting a run out. Um, just from the clips I saw when when they signed him initially, he looked like a, a, a an exciting prospect. Um, he hasn't got much game time. Um, possibly he could fill in, but like I said, Payet's going to be a huge loss, especially with his set-piece delivery for someone like Andy Carroll. Yeah, they seem to be building up a bit of a partnership there, haven't they? Yeah, well, I think... Well, obviously Payet's out now, but keeping Andy Carroll fit could be a massive addition to a West Ham side that was going quite well without him. I think he could be worth a few extra points to them. Um, it's just a case if they can get someone else to be the creator now with Payet out. Yeah, West Ham do want to have a good season now, considering they are moving to the new stadium next year. Yeah, well, I think that the big thing is to, to be in the Premiership and... Obviously, it's very early, but you'd imagine like the, the the way they've been playing, like that. That's a certainty. It's just a case of whereabouts in the league they finish. Um, I suppose they could maybe get into Europa League, depending on how things work out. Maybe through the fair play or or with teams qualifying through Europe, possibly. I don't think they'd be doing it through fair play. Oh, they got like loads of red cards. <laughs> I think they had six red cards in the first Weren't six matches under them in the Europa League, though. I think three of them were. But three of them weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were just getting in early to make sure they didn't have to go in that route. Exactly. Yeah. They were pretty annoyed with being called back early from somewhere, all right. <laughs> they were. It seems uh, to have worked, though. 
Yeah, something's, something's not right for them anyway. Uh, Deli Alley for Spurs seems to be coming on leaps and bounds. Got a good goal for England there. Yeah, he's a, I think Spurs are a little bit surprised at how good he has been so quick. Um, like They signed him in January last year, I think, and sent him straight back on loan to MK Dons. Um, I don't think many of them anticipated that he would be starting for them uh, pretty much from the off. Like he, he didn't start the first couple of games in the league, but once he got his chance, he's been an ever-present. Him and Dyer just look really solid in there. Um, and yeah, just a, a young player that's kind of surprised everyone on how quickly he's taken to the Premiership. Spurs have a good spine to their team now. If you look at you got like Lloris and Nets and then Vertonghen and Alderweireld, centre backs, Ali and Dyer and then Kane. Like a decent making of a team there. Yeah, and then if they if they can get Lamella to kind of keep doing what he's doing and and Ericsson and then Ryan Mason to come back, they they have a good squad and Pochettino certainly looks to be a decent manager. Yeah, he, um, find, he seems to be putting his stamp on the team now. Yeah, kind of bringing what he had at Southampton to Spurs, but obviously he's got more money at his disposal now. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how far he can go with them. And with it being Spurs, it'll be interesting to see if a few of those players aren't signed by bigger clubs, if they continue to perform as they are. Yeah, very true. The likes of, the likes of Lloris for sure, and there's been a lot of rumours with Lamella going back to Italy, so they may have a, a job keeping hold of all them players. Ericsson as well. I'm always surprised. He, I'm always surprised how young he is as well. He seems to be around for a while. Yeah, in fact, they they was it 12 million they got him for. Yeah, they, make, they can make a very tidy profit on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up football talk. In in other football news, we have the El Clasico this weekend, Chris. But uh, it seems to clash with a a certain game that you'll probably be watching. Yeah, it is. A, I think 15 minutes before the Liverpool City game, so. I'll probably record the Classico and hopefully celebrate and watch it after the, the Liverpool win. <laughs> That's your Saturday sorted. <laughs> yep, just got to get someone to cook me dinner now and I'll be quite happy. <laughs> I'm not going to volunteer. Stephen, do you want to do it for him? Nope, not in the slightest. <laughs> um, maybe Gaza will. May, may, Gaza might be well up for that. I've heard um, he's an hand in the kitchen. Oh, excellent pasta dish he does. <laughs> uh, Stephen, did you hear that uh, Platter, Platter and Platini have uh, had their 90-day bans upheld? They tried to appeal it. Yeah, um, I think it's 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 hopefully the right call because I think everyone everyone knows they're guilty. Um, the worry would have been that if if if, if it wasn't upheld, I think they they then become eligible for the election of the president which would cause a huge amount of problems now the fact that their those bans haven't been suspended it means that they're not eligible for the the vote so it's it becomes down i think there's only five candidates left i think two of them didn't pass the fit for purpose test which is a bit of a joke if you're going for fifa president but um <laughs> it's it's the, it's the right call as in like i think if if you read the story, anyone will instantly spot the fact it's a bribe. Whether it comes two, three years, five, ten years later down the line, he's been paid off to do something. And while we we might never find out exactly what it was, there's there's too much kind of with the FBI and with the Swiss investigation. There's too many people watching FIFA to let that slide. I think if it was in the past, they might have. Let, let it go but the fact that there's US investigations going on means that they have to be look or they have to look to be honest and uh, and not kind of corrupt which is tough for FIFA <laughs> very tough for them uh, so that's our football chat for, the, chat for this week rounded up um, moving on there Chris I know you were very excited for the UFC in Melbourne last weekend and uh, I suppose it didn't disappoint the main event did it no not at all um, it was just kind of plodding along um, some decent fights nothing spectacular everything kind of going to plan until it got to the main events and then kind of form and logic or <laughs> perceived logic went out the window um, Holly Holm massive underdog I mean Ronda Rousey was uh, 16 to 1 on to win the fight. Wow. 10 to 1 on to stop Holly Holm in the fight. 
and the odds were quite short on the fight lasting longer than a round and a half. Um, that part wasn't far wrong, but for the opposite um, fighter, um, Holly Holm was incredible. Um, by far the best I've ever seen from her. Um, apparently now that it's come out that this was intentional, that she was just kind of doing enough to get by, um, saving herself for the big occasion. And she picked Ronda apart spectacularly with um, just her, her boxing and the way she kept away from Rousey's grappling. Picked her apart with her punches. That was the thing though, like she made Rosie look like an amateur almost. Like this is somebody coming in who was was twelve and 0, the biggest name in UFC and yet half or halfway into the first round it looked like she had lost all composure. Why yeah. was why did that happen so quickly? I think the problem was that Rosie is she's a, a, a judo medalist in the Olympics, so that that's her game, judo and she's a submission specialist, especially arm bars. Um, the problem she had is that she couldn't get a hold to Holly and she couldn't hold her down. Um, once she wasn't able to do this, it became a striking match and Holly Holm is a, a former world champion boxer. Exactly. Um, it, it's like it's the one weakness people knew Rousey had. So why, like from watching it, it, it just felt as though she was trying to kind of commit to huge punches when she's not a puncher. Yeah, she was she was def- she was taken out of her comfort zone once she couldn't get the the takedowns. Um, it kind of it started um, as I thought it would, like Ronda coming forward, um, eating a couple of shots. I knew that would happen. Um, she does get hit when she kind of charges forward, but the the thing that shocked most people, me included, that was that she wasn't able to hold on to Holly Holm. The Holly Holm just kept moving and getting out of the way, hitting her hitting her with her shots and then getting out of range. I think everyone just thought that Rousey would catch home eventually and once she caught her she'd take her to the ground and that would be it. Um, she did get her down once but um, was unable to lock in an armbar. Uh, Holly Holm got back up very well. Like She she got back up perfectly and continued to uh, pick her off with shots and then, like you said, Ronda was swinging and missing and it was on her way back up kind of from her knees Holly just kind of put, gave her a little push in the back and then just walked her onto this head kick like spectacular head kick knockdown um, from there like Ronda was out Holly just pounced on her and a couple of hammer fists and the ref jumped in Ronda was out cold um, an incredible performance by Holly Holm Will there be a rematch at all do you think? Um, there's talk that it will be instant as in it will be the next fight for oh, Ronda really? but if that is the case it would probably mean six months um, whether that would suit the UFC to have their champion sit out for six months is another thing um, there's also a lot of the a lot of the experts I suppose everyone's an expert after the fact but a lot of the UFC fighters I'll say that actually do know what they're talking about have said that Ronda would need a year or more to try and uh, tighten up the holes in her game to stand any chance against Holly is it true um, that she had to have like plastic surgery yep yeah, that is true but um, that's not uncommon um, I was listening to a podcast with Dana White um, the president of the UFC and he says that um, in any instance when a fighter has a bad cut they call in a plastic surgeon rather than a doctor because the plastic surgeon can sew it up inside so that the wound is not visible once it heals. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, yeah, he said that um, he had an incident with his daughter as well, where a dog bit his daughter, and he did the same thing, like, straight away asked for the plastic surgeon because the doctor is just worried about healing the wound, whereas the plastic surgeon is worried about how he'll look afterwards as well. That's interesting, I didn't know all that. I suppose for someone like Rosie who has already moved into movies, I suppose that's even that's even more important. Like like if she decides that UFC isn't her calling anymore, she still has a career in movies. Like she's been in Expendables and she's got something else coming out soon. So from her point of view, that's probably the right call. Absolutely. Interesting. That was a uh, uh, that was one of my favourite roundups you've done now, Chris, for the UFC. Yeah, well, it's, it's probably the most surprising one I've done. Um, I've been listening to kind of feedback and um, kind of 
analysis of the fight since um since it happened on Sunday morning over here and um it's still a big shock like there's still new new stuff coming out new analysis um just the, arguably the biggest shock in uh, UFC history um getting a lot they're getting a lot of miles out of this one yeah um like I think they said the the initial shock will go away probably as the next events kind of happen but the lasting effect will be there for a long time to come now that the cyborg fight potentially gone and obviously Rousey's untouchable status is certainly gone yeah definitely um, moving on now to some rugby talk and I wasn't looking forward to this one to start it off, us off but uh, I was you were uh, <laughs> sure you were <laughs> Leinster Chris got hammered 33-6 at home against Wasps Leinster's worst ever home European defeat yeah um, this was a tough one to watch. Um, it was tougher to be there. It was awful. I'd say so. Um, I, I was out on the Saturday night, but it, it felt very much like the match that was making me feel unwell on the Sunday. <laughs> um, I don't know. I we were six three up, and then yeah. they they scored thirty points unanswered, um, and they just absolutely destroyed us. Um, it's hard to to figure what went wrong. So much went wrong. Um, I've have never seen us be bullied like that at home. Like I've seen us lose to a, a very good Claremont side. We still came away with a bonus point. This was something else. Um, and to happen in week one in your your home European game, it's going to be very tough for us to qualify. We've got to go to Bath, and then we've obviously got to two games against Toulon. It's going to take a a serious um, effort and improvement for the lads to stand any chance of getting out of the group, even though it's it's only week two coming up. Yeah, so it's the only saving grace is they didn't get a bonus point, but that's that's minuscule, I suppose. Yeah, um, no points for us after a home game is completely unacceptable. Against the perceived worst team in the group. Yeah, um, they just looked a golf in class between them. Um, Pietel was absolutely incredible. Oh, he was fantastic. He's off yeah. the Ulster, isn't he? Yeah, I, as far as I know, it's a done deal. But there, was, I was hearing th- things there that Wasps are going to try and keep him. But if Ulster do get him, he, he looks a serious talent. Um, like a, a New Zealand player that's very much not at the end of his career. Um, a, just a terrific signing for Ulster. Yeah, definitely. Um, Stephen, I'm sure you enjoyed that game. And I'm sure he also enjoyed the bonus point win for Munster. 32-7 against Treviso. I wouldn't necessarily, yeah, it was a very good result, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, it was very much a horrible condition down in, in Thomond. Um, we scored, we scored trying in the first four minutes and you, and you thought, right, here we go, six, seven, eight tries, 40, 50 point win, but in fairness to Deviso, they played the way they did in the opening game of the Pro 12 and they, they fronted up and they made it difficult. Now, three tries, two of them in the last 15 minutes ensured we got the bonus point I suppose in those kind of conditions regardless of who you're playing if you get five points like it's it's really all you can ask for 40 yeah. 50 points would have been nice but realistically in when, when the group is said and done how many points you score against Treviso isn't going to matter the important was Evo crossed the line with five minutes to go yeah, Teresa are the whipping boys of the group, so everyone's expecting to get the bonus point there, I suppose. Exactly. If you realistically you think that there's only three teams in this group, the others will pick up a minimum of nine, maximum of ten against Treviso. So it's it's ensuring you, you, you get those ten points so that you're in contention even if you only finish second. And then you hope to pick up one away win against Quinderstad. And if you do that, then you, then you qualify. Yeah. Uh Ulster's game was unfortunately postponed because of the tragic events that are happening in Paris. Um, we'll move on talk, talk about that in a bit like, towards the end of the show. Um, and all the actual French games play, games played in France were postponed last weekend and some will be this weekend as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the, the Munster stat game was called off on Monday, I think, so yeah. they do a, a week off. But uh, the moving on from the Champions Cup to the Challenge Cup and Connacht had a nice 31-14 victory in Russia, but they were stranded there for a few days in some freezing temperatures. 
I wouldn't quite call it a nice win. I think I'm trying <laughs> to have the toughest conditions I'll ever play. And it's a bonus point win away from home. Oh, exactly. That, that's again, like I said, with the monster game. Anytime you go and even away from home and pick up five points, it's fantastic. Playing in minus twenty degrees. I, I'm not sure if you saw the photographs of the the kind of bench covered in ten layers of blankets. It looked like an <laughs> old folks' home. <laughs> it did. There's some brilliant photography for whoever braved the elements to go all the way to Siberia to take it. But um, you better get a raise. <laughs> but like, Connacht, I think they've continued their start of the season. Um, that's is it eight games played, seven wins. Yep. And this is huge for them because they've had probably maybe harsh but they've had their easiest seven league games they've not played Munster Ulster Leinster they've not played Scarlets I think so they've got the four teams around them in the top five of the Pro 12 to play so they need everything they can get with regards to performances and momentum so big win for them now if they can come home I think they're playing a French team I'm not sure who it is but if they can get another home win nine points in the group and they can look to qualify indeed um, moving on and looking at the games coming up this weekend in the Champions Cup now we've already mentioned that the Munster game has been postponed but uh, Chris you briefly touched on the Leinster Bath game it's a hugely important game for Leinster now it's a must win isn't it yeah um, like Bath are a very good side I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier that they're a, a better side than Wasps or at least perceived to be um, so we got to go to to Bath and win now um, and maybe even well it's, you could say maybe need to get a bonus point but hard to know at this stage because um, you'd imagine we would lose away to Toulon unfortunately so, probably but yeah so you're looking to, to probably need to get four or five point wins get on to 20 points um, there is one thing there is a case you made I know it's, it's unlikely but if you can go to Bath and win with the bonus point you'll actually maybe be a better position than you expected because even if if you if you expect to beat Wasps and maybe pick up a bonus point at home and then pick up a bonus point away to Bath if you don't think Wasps are as big a threat as Bath you might have a point less but you've taken what, what Bath would have expected to be four points at home away from them so if you can go to Bath and win even though you'll have less points than you expected you might actually be in a better position for second place I take what you're saying but I think after the way Wasps played um we can't count them out anymore. Like they're no longer the, the the weakest team in the group. Like they they were incredible. Um, as bad as we were, they absolutely bossed the game. I would, the likes of Pietel, I wouldn't be confident that we'll go away there and just pick up five points. Um, also, I don't think that we will get. It's only like only a few second best teams go through. Yeah, that's it. I, think I don't think we'll. Be, I don't think our group will get. Like you have Treviso in your group. Whoever's in that group will probably get the second best place yeah that's true and we've got Bath Toulon well, I don't think anyone in our group will get a best place second team no I'd be I'd be very surprised if they did um, like you look down the years and it's been around maybe maybe 17 points could just about sneak you in um, depending on the year obviously but I think that's going to be tough to get um, we got to win Definitely, you'd say we need to win our two home games, but obviously one of those is against Toulon. Um, it's a huge ask for them now, um, but just hopefully they can get even get the win against Bath and just at least have something on the board and then worry about the mathematics in week five and week six. All you, all you can really do at the moment is just play your games. And yeah, try one to game win. at a time. Like it's a, it's a cliche, but it's it's all you can do. Like we're not in a position where we can be looking to act, getting a home quarter final anymore. We're just looking at. <laughs> Trying to get points on the board to get a chance of getting out of the group. Yeah, I suppose it's a cliche for a reason. They're there for a reason. Um, Ulster didn't play last weekend, but they are at home to Saracens this weekend, Stephen. Um, that should be a decent game, actually. Yeah, I think it's a game that tends to happen a lot the last few years. I think they've been drawn together. We had Saracens or Leicester. I think they played them four or five times in last year. Leicester. Yeah. Um, Again, because they haven't played last week, it means that this becomes huge because they're going to have a gap of, I'm not sure how many weeks it is, but if you go win your first home game, you're set up nicely for the group, regardless of when. Like, it's kind of it's difficult to, to 
to forecast when that game is going to be played because it'll have a huge effect on on on, on their squad choice if it's if it's a midweek game say it'll have a huge effect on, on their pro 12 but if they move a pro 12 game and it's and it's at a weekend suddenly they can focus properly so it's kind of difficult to predict for these games that have been postponed what's going to happen and when they're going to be played but if you even if at home saracens if they can just pick up the four points because i think if you go and i know it's only one game but if you go and you have no points or even one point after the first two rounds of games it's a big massive uphill struggle to get out of that group yeah very true um so i'm glad that ruby chat's over because i did not want that one um i suppose another ruby news though <coughs> very sad news this week that uh jonah lomu passed away at the age of 40. this one shocked me it did and like probably hit me more than i thought it would i think because a so young and b because it was unexpected it just I, we we knew he had some kidney issues over the last 10 11 years that's why he had to retire from the sport but like we all saw him on television two three months ago during the world cup and he was he looked fine like it's, it's john lomo he's a beast of a man you just don't expect this kind of thing to happen and like it's in a way it's slightly different than the jerry collins one because it, it it that was a car crash and it was horrible but you kind of it's an accident as opposed to somebody just passing away at forty years age for forty years of age as a heart attack. It it was shocking. Yeah, it it, it like it truly really was. I just could, I remember I woke up and just couldn't believe that I heard it and like did you see the examiner did a lovely front page, I think it was today, yesterday or today. Yeah, that was this morning I think. That was incredibly poignant, like for I suppose it's it's the reach that the man had. Like I think every interview and or every piece I heard kept talking about how he was the first global superstar of rugby. But it was like when I was growing up, it was Joan Lomu rugby. I played that game and everything. Yeah, absolutely. The like you said, the game named after him. And I remember um, going back a good while now when New Zealand came over to play Ireland and he was in the team. And like we actually went just to watch the All Blacks train just so we could see him. Um, he was he was a star like he was a very famous person in the world when rugby wasn't that big apart from like obviously the the diehard rugby fans like they players weren't that well known but he was known everywhere um just an incredible player and such a shame obviously that he passed away so young it was he's, he's what got me into watching rugby as a kid and then like i've seen interviews with professionals current professionals at the moment and like they all said he's why they got into rugby nearly yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't remember watching the match at the time, but I, I'm, I've seen the highlights numerous times since of England in in '95. Um, Longu just running over my cat. Yeah, four um, tries in that game, I think it was. Yeah, just what a player. Um, kind of set the standard for like you, you didn't need to be like kind of small tricky winger anymore. You could be these big powerful guys. Um, and he, he's kind of set the standard for other players to try and do it. No one's obviously been as successful, but. The likes of Australia with Wendell Saylor, um, having these big guys on the wing, but it's all through through Jonah showing that you don't have to be um, you don't have to be a forward if you're a big man. Yeah, Sevilla is kind of trying to fill it right now. Rockakoku, obviously they're not as big as physical as Lomu, but that kind of idea, a yeah. big powerful man who's got pace, but as well as that has skill and and good movement off both feet. George North closer to home. Yeah, exactly, or Cuthbert even. Yeah. No, oh, no, he'll be sadly missed. Like, it's just devastating. Uh, wish his family and friends all the best. Um, so one legend has sadly passed away, and another one announced his retirement today. Richie McCaw. It's yeah, it's obviously it's it's a shame to see him go, um, McCaw. But I was just surprised at the timing of the announcement. I'm sure it's been planned for maybe a week, two weeks, but I would have thought he'd have left it until after. The funeral of, of, of Lomu and to allow people to kind of grieve over that I just I, I don't quite understand why he announced it now yeah I, I'm not sure I never really thought about that to be honest yeah because like he, he has the next two months to announce this and it's not going to affect his career or it's not going to affect anything so obviously it's unplanned and they're doing it for a reason but I would have, if it was me personally, I would have waited for 
two weeks until the whole John Lomu funeral, the grieving process, allow everyone to get through that and then and then just announce it quietly. Um it just it seems a bit strange to me. Yeah, it's something I never really thought about. Um did you hear what he's going to do now that he's retiring? Yeah, I've, I've heard he's a qualified helicopter pilot. Yeah, he's he's gonna go fly helicopters, become a pilot. Fair play to him. Um Yeah, why not? I suppose like the only ever uh, captain to win two World Cups. Uh, why don't you go fly helicopters after yeah, that? Sure, why not? Like, what else can you achieve in your life? I suppose. I'm sure, he has to wait till uh, the end of the year for the James Bond role, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Can't get everything now, can he? And <laughs> um, just to wrap up the rugby talk then as well. Jiro has announced that uh, Eddie Jones is going to be the New England manager. Yeah, just confirmed in the last couple of hours. Um, I suppose the Stormers are uh, got a couple of questions about that. I think he only joined them um, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was only one week ago. A week ago, there you go. So um, they'll get I, a knife. I don't think he'll go down in the history as one of their best ever managers. <laughs> yeah, go down in history is probably the shortest. That's about it. He probably took some uh, advice from uh, Quaid Cooper on um, <laughs> moving from one club to the other. Very sharpish. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they got a nice hefty payoff as well from the from England though as well. Yeah, I said that's that'll be a nice amount of money. First, uh, non-English man to manage them. I think that it was going to happen eventually. If you look at, at, at the talent of of candidates for that, if it, the second favourite before Eddie Jones was Conor O'Shea, an Irishman, so there really isn't. You could say Ford maybe, but they're going to run into the same problems they probably had with with Farrell being on the coaching squad under Lancaster. Behind Lancaster, there there does seem to be a, a lack of of managerial talent in England right now. Yeah, Checo is linked as well, and uh, Jake White. So they really were looking international. Yeah, so that's all the home nations now with foreign managers. It's yeah, it's. Is it disappointing for the home nations? I don't. You could say it's disappointing, but when you look at what happened in the World Cup, you have to you have to go with the coaches who can play that side of rugby. If you look, we are the Northern Hemisphere is behind the Southern Hemisphere right now when it comes to the skill levels and tactics. And I think the only way to improve that is to get get them in for a couple of years, and then from an Irish point of view, hope that some of well, and English point of view, hope that some of the current coaches playing their trade at clubs can can learn how to play a more expansive game. Now it, it won't happen at Munster because Munster will never play that way. But yeah. someone like Leo Cullen over the next few years, I suppose you guys will hope that he learned on the job and becomes a good enough manager to take over from Ireland eventually. There's always, there's always been talk of Conor O'Shea as well, like coming back to Leinster and then going on to the Ireland job. I, I can't even come back to Leinster before going to the Irish job. Yeah, I don't mean to kind of flag it off, but it's not a step up from Leinster. It's not a step down. It's not a step down either. Harlequins. Sorry, Harlequins. It's not a step up it or is a down. Step, in fairness, you're going to a side that won what three European Cups. To so Harlequins are only in the Challenge Cup. Harlequins are only in the Challenge Cup this year. Yeah, I mean, Harlequins are a good side, and he he's obviously living in London. That has its benefits, but I think you have to be be fair and say that Leinster are a bigger club than Quinns. Honestly, right now, would you say so? Yes, even even Here's though we played for last week, we're in the top European competition. Quins are not, um, like you said, the three um three Heineken Cups, and the fact that it would have more money to spend. I would imagine, um, Irish rugby tends to have more money than English because it's spread out over a shorter number of teams. Um, I think it's definitely a step up to come from Quins, but he's been there a long time and he has a good side of Quins, so that would be a reason maybe that he'd want to stay, but. Certainly not that he sees Leinster as a downward step in his career. No, I wouldn't say downward. I just mean that it's he wouldn't need to go to Leinster before the Irish job. He wouldn't need no, two steps. He wouldn't no. need to. Um, if um, if Joe does leave Ireland, then yeah, Conor O'Shea would certainly be one of my top choices to replace him. Um, it would be nice if Eddie, if Joe was still at Ireland and Conor wanted to come to, to Leinster for a couple of years. But like you say, hopefully Leo will do a good job and he'll be there till Ireland come calling. Yeah, certainly will. Um, moving on there, Stephen, uh, do you have a bit of an NFL roundup for us? 
yeah, um, it's been a few weeks since, since we talked about NFL. It's, a lot's been happening, to be fair. Yeah, um, you're pretty Gaza to have a chat with now. No, unfortunately. Um, I think last time we talked, there was five unbeaten teams. Um, the Packers have fallen by the wayside. The Bengals have fallen by the wayside. Denver have fallen away. So you currently only have two teams in Carolina and New England who are unbeaten. 9-0. and Um and even New England only scraped by. They're playing the New York Giants, who haven't had a great season, but two points down with with a minute and a half to go, a four and eleven with a minute to go, and then Stephen Guskowski kicks a fifty-four yard field goal to win it by a point to to stay unbeaten. Um, Green Bay, I mentioned earlier, who had had started the season six and zero, have now lost three straight games, including their first defeat to division rivals. Detroit in 24 years at home they won the previous 23 and they threw it away essentially they had so many chances to win that game but they're in a, a bit of a slump and have fallen to second place in their division now they should be okay but if they're not careful they'll be fifth or sixth seeds in the playoff and that means going on the road for two or three consecutive games and with their with Lambeau Field their home stadium being such a fortress that's a big loss if, if they don't win their division Um. Elsewhere, as I said, Denver have have fallen away. They were, I think it was 7-0, they're now 7-2. and um, Peyton Manning, their quarterback, had one of the the strangest games, I think, of of maybe in history. He started the game by throwing a, I think it was a 7-yard pass to become the, the all-time passing yards record holder, passing Brett Favre. But in the same game, he threw four interceptions and was benched <laughs> so <laughs> he went from becoming well the the most passing yards of all time to to missing the last quarter because he just couldn't find his own players Um, he's struggling hugely i think he's 38 now so there was signs at the end of last season that his arm was just not accurate enough and he didn't have enough strength to make some throws and it's looking like it, 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 it'll be a sad end to his career Um. I suppose the other thing that's mentioned is Cincinnati also lost their streak, losing to Houston. Um, they seem to have a, a problem in, in big games. They can beat a lot of very good teams in ordinary games, and as soon as their games get televised, or as soon as they make the playoffs, they tend to just it's a bottle. It's something they've been doing for the last four or five years, and until they can fix that, I think regardless of, of what record they have going into the playoffs, you can't trust them to win playoff games. Cool. Very insightful there. Um, nice to have the odd NFL update there for Stephen. Thank you. No problem. Uh, if you want a deeper insight into NFL, you can listen to all four quarters podcast. Harry Yomi one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so just before we finish up this week, um, a lot has gone on this week uh, with the terrorist attacks in Paris and I suppose just taking thinking about life and stuff and the early passing of Loma as well I suppose but it puts sport into perspective really um, there was huge doubts whether the France-England game would go ahead but I'm glad it did go ahead in England and there was like a show of solidarity and stuff um, just what do you think about the whole thing? It's yeah like you said it, it just changed your perspective on a lot of things I think I, I was sitting um, on, on Friday night going through the the Irish-Bosnia game and suddenly then you, you start getting texts and reports of what was happening in, in Paris and then you kind of realise that we love sport and it's it's important in everyone's lives but in reality it, it it's not important at all. Like the only thing, you look at the, the English-French game in particular, it's important in, in regards that it brings people together and it, it unites them in a way that a lot of other things in the world don't but like it was like it was difficult to watch not to watch sport this weekend but it didn't have the same the same emotion the same feeling that it normally does and I think that's what it's th- these are those kind of large events can really uh, they really force you to think about what is important yeah, like, they're just attacking kind of civilians now who are just gone out and trying to enjoy themselves at a game or whatever. It's like the Germany-Holland game was cancelled because of a 
device found outside the stadium and stuff like there. The Belgian Spanish game as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's something you don't think about. Like 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 yourselves, we went to with five games there for the World Cup and it's the last thing you think about is that that while you're at a game people are going to do it to try and attack you, try and kill you. It's it's like I suppose from from our point of view, we've qualified for Euro sixteen now in the same weekend as, as all the Paris atrocities. And it just it makes things like will you be if we decide to go over, will you be safe there? And that's something we've never had to think about at at a sporting event before. Yeah, like I know there was discussions or murmurings that it, it might be cancelled from France or move from France. Yeah, I'd say move from France possibly. I, I don't think they'd go cancel it. I think you could see Spain or England maybe stepping up to the mark and hosting it. Where with the infrastructure. If, exactly. Yeah. If if it came to it, but hosting it now becomes important to France to to basically say that they're not going to cower in fear and they're they're not going to let their ordinary lives and and sporting events be be. Um, affected by these by these attacks, it like as much as we said, sport isn't important. It becomes very important in the regard that it's a way to kind of put yourself back out in the world again and say, look, you can try and attack us, but you're not going to defeat us. That's absolutely spot on. Um, I read a letter that one of the one of the guys um, lost his wife. In the attacks, um, he wrote it like an open letter to the attackers, and it was pretty much saying what you did about how him and his son would go on living their lives, and and he would pick his son up in the morning, and they would play and eat breakfast like they usually do because they wouldn't give the the attackers the satisfaction of hate that um, yet that he will see his wife again, and they won't won't kind of hide and cower behind like and bow to these um these people that are just terrorists um, just kind of like what you said that they, they will carry on and they will have they will love and remember the their mother and their wife without uh, without giving the, the attackers the satisfaction of hatred yeah like it was it was a strange thing to see in England France friendly um, the English crowd singing La Raffaez just that alone you'd I you think would, um, never all the, uh, the Premier League clubs have agreed to play it before the matches at the weekend as well. Yeah, t- that was a very nice touch. Nice touch, um, yeah. But it's like, that alone is something you'd never think you'd ever hear in a sporting occasion. The English fans singing the Marseillaise. But yet, it, that game became far more important than any other game in England-France history. Like they've played in World Cups, they've played in European Championships, but yet that was probably more important than any of those. Yeah, definitely. Um, the thoughts from everyone here are one more round because I to everyone who lost loved ones and just hope nothing like this happens again, I suppose. It's just awful. Mm. Um, moving on, I suppose, to wrap up the show, we've got uh, the bet of the week. And so it was my turn to place our weekly bet and we've had no luck so far this season as we all know but if uh, last season's anything to go by we have the best chance when I place the bet isn't that right Chris? That's it um, 100% success rate um, 3 or 4 of the times that you placed I'll, 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 take, I'll take that so uh, <laughs> this week we've gone for Everton at 4-7 to seven, Swansea at 17-20 to 20, Arsenal at 8-15 to 15, United at ten to eleven, and Leicester at six to four, and a ten euro bet pays out just over two hundred and ten euro. So uh, that'll do us. That, that'll cover us for roughly what we've lost so far this season, would it? <laughs> no, I think we'll have made a nice, tidy, is it eighty euro profit if that comes in. Ah, happy days. <laughs> so that would cover another couple of bets per person. Exactly. That, yeah. that would. That would. Um, we've also got our five euro bets of the week, and this week I've gone for a double. Uh, United and Southampton both to win at five to two. I need to get on a winning streak, so I've gone for a loan of odds. You took the special that Paddy Power were doing then. I did indeed. <laughs> I was tempted by that, but I decided it was quite early in the season, so 
I'd go a little bit braver. Um, so I've gone for an ACA, um, pretty similar to the one we did. It's um, United, Arsenal, Everton and Swansea. But I've also gone for Chelsea to win. And for a fiver, that returns just over 61. Mine is slightly less complicated. It's just West Ham to beat Spurs at 5-1. to one. I know <laughs> it's the way West Ham have been playing against the the better teams in the Premier League away from home I think 5-1 to one are crazy odds so even though obviously you'd make Tottenham favourite for that you wouldn't be surprised if West Ham can continue that away form interesting one see who's right next week um, just to finish it off then the answer to the question of the week lads um, just to remind you it was that one all black legend has sadly passed away and one has ended his illustrious career what I wanted to know was how many points did Jonah Lomu and Richie McCaw score for New Zealand combined? So, uh, Chris? 275. 275. Yeah, I was trying to work out individually how many. I went for 14 McCaw and 34 Lomu, so I'm going 240. 240. Um, so neither of you are right, so now it's kind of working out how close do you have to be? Who's closest? Within right. 10 points, can we get the points? Would that be fair? Not fair with you, Chris? No, I think who's closest. We don't no. want to be gifting you points. What I mean is if it's more than 10 points for both of us, then Glenn gets the point. I think that's giving him an easy point, though. He needs it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say we'd give it to Gary, but I want him to earn his points. Yeah, no way. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't show up, you can't win. So I'll, I'll let you choose the distance you have to be closest to to get the point. I tell you, if we're 10 points away, either way, we get the point. Fair enough. I'll go right. along with it because I'm a very uh, accommodating person. So, Stephen, you went for 240, was it? Um, yes. And Chris, you went for 275, was it? Yep. Uh, the total answer was actually 320. Wow. So McCaw had 135 and Lomu 185. 27 tries for McCaw. That's crazy. Yeah. Played a long time. He did, but I suppose he does always pick up one try in important games. So they played enough as well. But uh, so, get in. Another point for me. A rare point for me. Very controversial. I, I didn't. I let you pick. The, I didn't say. It's <laughs> a 30 point thing and I still would have won it. I said closest. Yeah, I'm never going to get a point. It's close to the Glen can't get points. Have your point. <laughs> uh, that's it for another week. Uh, thanks for joining us, even guys. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. No you. problem. And thanks to everyone for listening. So I suppose until next week, goodbye. Machine. I get the NFL. Get up, you son of a bitch. Making love.